0: There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between radio and bar talk, between commentary and recaps. And it lies between the pit of man's Netflix subscriptions and the summit of his binge-watching ability. This is the dimension of podcasting and the Twilight Zone. These are the Zonisodes.
1: And now your hosts, Brandon Davis and Scott McFarland.
0: Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. Welcome to Zonasodes, the Twilight Zone podcast, where we are reviewing every single episode of the original series of the Twilight Zone. I am Scott and with me as always is Brandon Davis. Hi, Brandon. Hi Scott, how are you? Fine. We're gonna <laughs> peek under the hood here again because, as we did with Elegy, uh, this episode's being recorded in 2022, <laughs> as opposed to 2018 or 2017 or whatever it was. We're,
1: we're more world weary.
0: <laughs> oh, god! <laughs> Man, the 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 episode just before this that aired last week. Was recorded in a bygone era before a pandemic so Uh things have changed but as we mentioned on elegy and as we've been mentioning in the intros to the other episodes uh we took a bit of a hiatus and now we're back and we are filling our back catalog of both episodes that uh when a hard drive died uh we lost but also some episodes we think that four years of, as Brandon says, world weariness <laughs> means we have a little bit more to talk about <laughs> on on some episodes. <laughs> Speaking of that episode, let's talk about the monsters are due on Maple Street. Uh, Brandon, I'll go ahead and give the synopsis here and then we'll hear what Rod had to say and we'll start talking about this. What I think we won't bury the lead here. What I think is one of the best episodes of television in history we will go we will go past twilight zone on that one so monsters are due on maple street it's a normal summer evening in a normal suburban street when a strange sound is heard and light is seen in the sky at first not much is made of the occurrence perhaps a meteor that causes sunspots yeah science isn't big on maple street but when all the power goes out and the phone stops working the people of this quiet street start looking for answers first peter van horn decides to go a few streets over to see if they're having the same problem steve and charlie decide to walk into town to see what is going on because the cars won't start but young tommy tells them not to you see only the aliens would be allowed to leave or so his comic book says then Les Goodman's car starts on its own after he had tried to start it and failed several times, even though all the other cars will not start. As the evening turns to night, the neighbors begin to question each other, first Les, then uh, Steve, and then so many others. And the mo- now the mob sees someone walking down the street. Charlie asked who the person is via a shotgun, because you don't just say hello, you shoot a shotgun. And we find Pete Van Horn dead on the street. The mob turns on Charlie, and then he turns them back on Tommy, and all the while, the lights randomly start going off in some of the houses, causing even more distress. Maple Street falls into chaos as two aliens watch from a hill, noting that they need to do nothing but turn the power off. The humans will do the
1: rest. Brandon, what's Rod got to say? Rod has to say, Maple Street, USA, late summer. A tree-lined little world of front porch gliders, barbecues, the laughter of children, and the bell of an ice cream vendor. At the sound of the roar and the flash of lights, it will be precisely 6.43 p.m. on Maple Street. And then we have a little pause and the narration continues. This is Maple Street on a late Sunday afternoon. Maple Street in the last calm and reflective moment before the monsters came.
0: Welcome to season one where Rod is still figuring out his narrations. (laughs) Like, we're going to break it up. So, Brandon, like I said, I didn't bury the lead. I think this is a pretty monumental episode, not only for Twilight Zone, but for TV. So tell me about your first impressions of monsters.
1: Well, uh, you know, back when we first started this, um, uh, it all kind of started because I was, you know, a casual uh, fan of the Twilight Zone, but hadn't really dipped my toes in all the way, and uh, this was an episode that I know had been lauded, you know, by so many people, but I hadn't seen it until um, we watched it that first time, and you know, you had praised it and said so many great things about it. And sure enough, you were right. And it makes me uh, scared for when I finally get to bewitching pool. <laughs> I will say, I will say, though, in the uh, couple year hiatus we've had here, I have watched several other episodes that we'll watch down the way. So I'm more versed in Twilight Zone lore now. But uh, yeah, this is a Hall of Fame Twilight Zone episode, and it's a Hall of Fame, you're right, TV episode. Just a TV episode, period. Um, there's so many, uh, it, it can be an allegory for so many different things. And of course, uh, we're, we're living, uh, in an era where, uh, the allegory of this episode rings really true. But yeah, it, it the, the, the Rod, we've talked about it many times, was ahead of his time. And, um, you know, that this episode, I'm sure, meant something to the, um, you know, the blacklist weary world of the late fifties. And of course we're, uh, we're living in a different world now, but uh, somewhat similar circumstances. So he made a very timely and timeless episode.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you. And uh, to bewitching pool, for those who don't know, Brandon has promised me, that he will not watch bewitching pool until it is the last episode we review. Now we were supposed to do that in 2019 and we didn't do it. So it'll probably be 2024 (laughs) before he gets to see moose and squirrel, but he will see (laughs) moose and squirrel. Those who have watched bewitching pool understand those who have not just thought rocking bowling or bowling are in it. And they're not, but just go with me. Um, So yeah, this is the amazing thing about this episode written by rod sterling of course um but also directed by ron winston uh who will direct several episodes of twilight zone but this is his first and it's it's a visceral episode i mean it starts out on the street everyone's having a nice summer day looks like it's probably close to the fourth of july charlie's wearing his best hawaiian shirt for some reason and so forth and so on but it the frustrating thing with this episode is it works 60 years later 62 years later to be exact um as you mentioned uh red scare blacklists uh also um you'll note that every single person in this episode is white um so obviously there's a conversation being had there and suburbia continues to this day to be much like that anyway but really any kind of scenario where we as humans get in our way and try to put blame on a scapegoat, whomever or whatever that scapegoat may be, it, it just fits. And it's frustrating that it would continue to have to deal with this um, without getting too much into politics, because there's plenty of podcasts for that. I, I, I think anyone uh, with any wherewithal to look around your world right now will see that we're scapegoating so many different people for so many different things. And this episode still rings true. So going to my first impressions of it, I, I like many episodes of Twilight Zone, I can't remember the first time I watched it, but I will tell you that one of the most uh, meaningful times I watched it was in middle school because I had a social studies teacher have us watch it for the same reason that way back in the bygone era of the early nineties, uh, this still rang true as a commentary on what can happen when good people relatively good people allow group think and mob mentality and fear overwhelm them so brandon let's uh let's dive into this a little bit more and we'll, i'm sure we'll have more commentary as we go but i really want to talk about the cast because there's mm-hmm. quite a few really good actors in here and you are the classics guy, so you know these folks more than I do. So I recognize some of these faces, but that's about as far as I go. So talk about
1: the cast a bit yeah what's what's interesting about this episode compared to other twilight zone episodes is this is really an ensemble uh piece of work and it's it's nice to see a lot of actors sort of working together if you look at most twilight zone episodes it really focuses on maybe one or two people and then other people are really small um you know just side characters but this is really uh, a group of solid character actors working together. The ones that kind of stand out to me would be like uh, Claude Akins, who plays Steve Brand, who is, um, you know, kind of the, uh, you know, I, I guess you might call him the lead of the episode, but there really isn't a lead of the episode. But Claude Akins was a well-known character actor in a lot of uh, Westerns, mostly. He's in movies like Rio Bravo uh, with John Wayne. He's in From Here to Eternity. He's in The Kane Mutiny, um, I think, I think later on he was in one of the planet of the apes movies and uh, you, you just saw him over, um you know, so many decades and so many different TV shows, everything from like, I love Lucy to murder. She wrote. So yeah. a solid, solid character actor. And with um, him, with him yeah. I
0: would say, you know, his face is recognizable, but he's definitely got that voice.
1: Um, Oh, solid voice. Yeah. It's
0: definitely a, you know, a old time cowboy voice. And now you mentioned plan of the apes. I'm recognizing him as, I think he was one of the gorillas. I believe I had to Uh go back and look, but that voice kind of
1: stands out. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, the other standout, of course, is Charlie, who's played by uh, Jack Weston, who uh, did a lot of theater, but also uh, was in quite a few movies. I think a lot of people would recognize him from things like uh, The Thomas Crown Affair, Dirty Dancing, um, Cincinnati Kid with Steve McQueen. And then he has a really sort of. Um, menacing role in a uh, wait until dark with Audrey Hepburn. Um, a really, really great character actor. And he was really, really good at playing Weasley type characters. And he's, he's your typical weasel <laughs> in this episode.
0: I called it by the way, Akins was general Aldo who was a gorilla in battle for the planet of the apes. <laughs> it's the voice. I mean, the face obviously is covered, but that voice stands out. Right.
1: Yeah. He he's got, he's got a really, really great voice. And then also um Oh, who was? Oh, yeah. Burt Metcalf, who plays Mm -hmm. Don Martin, um, character actor, but probably most famously, though, um, went away from acting in the late 70s and became one of the showrunners of MASH in later years. And he became he and Alan Aldo were writing partners on some of the later episodes of MASH. So So they uh, killed the chicken yeah he, he's responsible for that spoilers <laughs> and and then somebody else who i wasn't as familiar with but barry atwater who plays les goodman but i noticed he had a connection to star wars lore uh, not star wars star trek lore yeah 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 so yeah uh-huh. a really really saw and then um who else oh oh amesie strickland who doesn't get a name but uh she's she's the main sort of uh uh, antagonist i guess she's the one who's constantly blaming everybody as you get toward the end but she's a character actress you would recognize from the you know constant you know tv shows like uh, happy days golden girls and her later years she played a lot of uh she got a lot of work as she grew older I but know. yeah but yeah they all look, all work really well together
0: i agree with the the ensemble cast is interesting i think it, it helps uh twilight zone stand out and for the most part all of these uh actors are doing a really good job um mm-hmm. i especially like steve uh because i think we're supposed to like steve he's the one who's trying not he's not going out of his way to stop people like he probably could have taken that gun from charlie steve you're a little uh-huh. bigger than him in terms of being taller i think you probably take that gun from charlie but he's yes. definitely the kind of the, the person who's the every man who is just like you guys are all being crazy this is stupid um, and I, I do like Charlie. Um, I think he is the the antithesis of Steve, and I, I appreciate that. I also, everyone's had the crazy neighbor who sits on his lawn chair and drinks a beer while he's watching you. Uh-huh. At least I have, and <laughs> well, there's stories there. But I, I have to say, and you mentioned Barry Atwater, who uh, I just looked it up. Uh, he His Star Trek claimed the fame as he played uh, Ciroc, uh on Star Trek, which uh, is a a major character in Vulcan history, but only shows up in one episode, but he is the weakest link of this uh, episode for me. Yeah. And it's, it's this episode is still classic and don't hate me for it, but whenever less shows up, it just feels like he's writing it in. And especially since it's the the first real turning point of the episode, he should not be writing it in. He should be the one really kind of shocked, uh, Scared, worried, frustrated, angry. I don't care. Give me an emotion. Mary. Yeah. Give me an emotion. And less is. It feels like somebody has the cue cards right in front of him. And he's just reading <laughs> the cue cards. Like he looks like one of my kids when I catch him doing something and they pretend. They try to pretend like they didn't do it. Like what? What do you mean? I didn't do anything. It yeah. wasn't me. Yeah. So I will say of all of them, he's the one who stands out. Unfortunately, as somebody who i i wanted more from les goodman um but yeah i I, there's so much going for this episode in the fact that all of these uh character actors are working together uh we we get to see so many turns and i love that about this episode is it's like a hot potato of blame you know initially it's you know it's it's oh it's a meteor or it's a sunspot caused by a meteor which again i choked in the synopsis that's not how sunspots work but whatever uh (laughs) but then we get crazy young Tommy who is reading too much of his damn comic books and starts telling people that it's the aliens. And if you leave the the neighborhood, you must be an alien too, which of course, as you mentioned, the black, uh, the the blacklist and the red scare. Well, if you believe in X, Y, and Z, you must be a communist. If you write in television, you must be a communist. So that's absolutely what they're going there with Tommy.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, And then it just the blame game starts first. It's less, then it's questioning Steve, then it's Charlie shot a man, so that we probably should talk about that. And then Charlie, and this is this is kind of the the climax of the blame game, and it so rings true is as soon as everyone starts staring at Charlie and coming after him, he immediately finds somebody else to scapegoat, yeah, and of course tosses it back to Tommy. So the, the, the writing in this is superb, uh, kind of following the bouncing ball of hate and blame.
1: And the actors really do a good job of making all of it believable, because, uh, you know, uh, and and probably a lesser writer or a lesser director's hands, uh, it could all seem kind of disjointed because everything is moving so fast. But they that they're able to really take you along for the journey. And you're able to see the logic of how everything moves and how everything is constantly in flux.
0: We We've kind of mentioned this already, but I think there's some more discussion to be had here in terms of the context of the episode. Uh, for one, I would like to hear from you because you know this era of TV and motion picture better. Uh, the, the More of the context that goes into what Rod was probably talking about in terms of his themes here. And then also I'd like to talk about
1: uh, the correlation that we have nowadays as well. Sure. Well, you know, I, th- I think that certainly if if you look back, I mean, you're in early 1960, they probably filmed this in late 59. And so you're less than a decade from the early 50s, where, you know, all of Hollywood was in a state of, you know, panic, and, you know, almost despair, because, you know, of joe mccarthy and his um influence with the red scare and the hollywood 10 and all all the all of that entailed and you know there was all of this you know unfounded pressure for people to name names and for people to as you mentioned constantly find scapegoats of you know who could possibly be you know members of the communist party were you know communist writers infiltrating the Hollywood studios. And so people lost careers, people lost livelihoods. Some people ended up killing themselves. Um, it was such a dark period um, in Hollywood. And certainly Rod Serling, who you can just tell from his writing, leaned more toward the left side of politics than uh, probably a, a lot of his contemporaries at the time. So I'm sure That um, at some point it had to have crossed his mind that, oh, you know, maybe they're going to come after me at some point. I think this episode really sort of hits home in that way. It's got, um, I think by being sort of specific to his time, he makes it universal. And uh, that's what we've been talking about because uh, here we are, you know, six decades later, and it's just as relevant as it was in 1960. It's interesting you point out
0: the the Rod as a writer and what he was experiencing and what his colleagues were experiencing throughout this, too. You know, right before the episode came out, uh, the Miami Herald uh, misquoted him. They were uh, asking about the episode and what it was going to be about. And the misquote was that uh, Rod had said, which he did not, the minorities always need a scapegoat to explain their own weaknesses. So even the writer of this episode is having to deal with folks who are trying to get one up on other people, but again, placing the blame, trying to get people to say things and do things that didn't actually happen. And it's just, it really, it again, is the frustrating nature of humanity that we we see here in this episode. And yeah, to your point on what's going on now in the world, I think it's, we see it all over in terms of, and I, I, I usually say that individual people are usually good people. It's mob mentality and groupthink that get us in trouble. And not always. I, uh, my background is I work in community service and volunteerism. So I'm all about people getting together and doing good stuff. But unfortunately, we see that people do when they they turn into an echo chamber. And I think that's the key here is that echo chamber. And I want to talk a little bit about the pandemic. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to record this episode again, was obviously after the past two years, 2020, 2021, and into 2022, we saw this. Uh, We saw first responders, nurses, doctors being shunned. We saw... Leaders and communities being questioned and being tormented because they were trying to get people to recognize science and the idea that, hey, if y'all don't cough on each other for a few days, maybe less people will die. And w- social media became a terror, a terror to many of these people. Um, and I, I speak from experience on this and not that we we usually get personal on discussions of the twilight zone but i'm gonna get a little personal here and this is the main reason why i wanted to talk about monsters again is i dealt with some of my own monsters uh for those who may not know which is mostly anybody who's listening to this probably uh i was the president of a school board during the pandemic so i had been a school board member for several years uh and i was elected president of that board. while I was sitting in my state's emergency operations center, because I had been deployed to deal with the pandemic. So uh, we, I got the call saying, hey, uh, you got the votes. We want to elect you president while I was in the basement hanging out with the National Guard. So the pandemic was fun for me, but I had people calling for my head uh, I had on both sides. And here's the here, here was the fun part. We, we were in Illinois, and Illinois was one of the states that shut down very quickly sent the kids home and what was to be uh, wait and see turned into the entire rest of the school year. So a few months being uh, done virtually. So people were frustrated and I completely understand that. Uh, and many people wanted to bring their kids back to school. And I was one of them working to try to bring kids back to school safely. So I had people hating on me who thought that I was trying to rush people back to school. But then I had people hating on me because I wasn't bringing the kids back soon enough because I wanted to make sure it was safe before they came back. And I had one person on social media, and I'm going to call her my Charlie, um, who said that she hoped I would get COVID with a side of comorbidity. So basically, she wanted me dead. So the monsters come out. Unfortunately, uh, when we have to deal with changes, in the case of this one, it is the power goes out. In the case of the past few years, it's that we had to deal with something we couldn't see that was killing us. And I also want to point out that many, many more people stood up and many more people in groups did amazing things to help so many people. But unfortunately, groupthink mentality and mob mentality does have an effect. And I will get off my soapbox now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it's usually never people that look like monsters. It's people that look like your neighbors and friends.
0: Well, the, the, the person who put out a COVID hit on me was a teacher. So, no. and I'm sure she's a wonderful teacher, but, and I, 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 blamed her for a long time, but now looking back, I, I realize again, it's uh fear and this person is scaring me. And the situation is scaring me and I must lash out at somebody. And so at that very moment, I was her punching back. So, but it's, we can go, we can make so many correlations to this. And this is why this episode is a classic, because it's not about one thing. It's not about suburbia, but it is. It's not about gentrification, but it is. It's not about communism, but it is. It's not about anti-science, but it is it's it, it's whatever it has to be and that's a that's damning for the human race but it also I, it's something that I think everyone needs to recognize in ourselves because all of us have those moments no matter how good of a person we think we are we all got a little Charlie in us and we all got a little Tommy in us Tommy needs to shut his mouth <laughs> uh, and we all want to be Steve, but Steve didn't sh- stop nobody from getting shot so. We got to be a little
1: better than Steve too. Uh-huh. And yeah, Tommy, Tommy has very nice, precise pronunciation. and enunciation
0: You know, I, I, I
1: bet I beat up
0: on my good friend, Les Goodman, but Tommy, it wasn't much better. And, you know, be again, behind uh, underneath the hood, um, the next episode we're going to record in present day. And of course, if you're listening to this in 2025, you don't care, but the next episode we're going to record in present day is actually a uh, big tall wish because it's one of our lost episodes that was on my hard drive. But now when we have a character actor child who actually knows how to act. So it's a bit of a difference between Tommy and Henry. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah, uh, But, you know, and and it's funny because like you talked about this movie uh, or this episode really deals with great social Issues, But, uh, you know, it also works as a sci-fi piece. I mean, uh, when when I was watching it this time, I was thinking about The Day the Earth Stood Still, because um, it uses an element of that, you know, when the power, when everything stops and the power goes out. Of course, there were some different results in The Day the Earth Stood Still. Um, but, but then you get that wonderful, you know, final scene when you realize what's been going on the whole time. And it's a nice little... Uh, reveal and it's a sad reveal so it 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 works on two levels it works you know as great sci-fi and great social commentary
0: completely agree so uh before we get into our ranking of this episode which (laughs) i think we both know what the ranks gonna be but um is there anything else you want to highlight any positives or negatives of the episode we haven't talked
1: about just that i'm impressed that this an episode of this stature comes along in season one because you don't usually get a solid episode like this in the first season. So that really tells you that uh, Rod was uh, firing on all cylinders from the very beginning. I mean, I'm thinking about the episodes that we've really praised so far this season, things like walking distance or, you know, the, the hitchhiker, you know, the, the, the A-list episodes of season one, Um, you you know, that he really, and, and they're completely different. If you think about it as well, he really excels and bringing out his ideas and his thoughts in different packages whether it's you know suspenseful you know uh, melodrama horror and the hitchhiker nostalgia and walking distance and social commentary and monsters it, it all works
0: absolutely in terms of what you're talking about with this first season you know I'm, I'm a big star trek fan and for the most part except for strange new worlds they knocked it out of the park in season one yeah. Uh, But for the rest of them, you know, those first couple seasons are usually clunkers. And actually, the other podcast I'm doing right now is uh, Gray 17, which is looking at all of Babylon 5. And we are knee deep into season one of Babylon 5, (laughs) which is uh, uh, still one of my favorite shows of all time. But season one's a clog. So I think uh, um, absolutely that the fact that this we and we we say this when we do our rankings all the time you cannot compare the twilight zone to other tv shows because it's not yeah. it is something that is above and beyond most any media tv or otherwise and that's why we compare each twilight zone episode to itself which is what we're going to do right now brandon segway <laughs> For those of you who are joining us for the first time, how we do this, as I just said, is we go ahead and rank these episodes 1 to 10. But it is not 1 a terrible episode and 10 a great episode. It is compared to other episodes of The Twilight Zone. So a 5 score means it's an average episode of The Twilight Zone, which means it's probably some of the best television in history. Uh, A 1 means it's The Fever or potentially the bewitching pool. Once Brandon sees it <laughs> and a 10 means it's the monsters are doing Maple street. I'm just going to throw it out there and walking distance and the like. So Brandon, where would you score <laughs> again? Cause we're not burying the lead. Where would you score? The monsters are due on Maple street.
1: This, this is a 10 and uh, I thinking back to, uh, when we were, uh, you know, scoring in our original run, uh, you know, I was I was much more generous uh, than you were with the scoring. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that uh, we'll, we'll see if the last couple of years have hardened my criticism here. But but, jaded, but, but but no, this but no, this episode's a 10. I mean, it's it's one of the it's one of the gems of season one. And, uh, I you know, definitely maybe when we finally finish this, we'll uh, discuss like our top. Twilight Zone episodes throughout the whole run or whatever. And I, this is a contender.
0: Well, I know our friends and you included at the Front Row Network love their brackets. So maybe we'll do a bracket uh, of the tens <laughs> and see who
1: dukes it paging, out to the end. Paging Lou Hare.
0: <laughs> but yeah, no, I, for me too, it's a 10. And depending on the day, I would probably list about three to five episodes that are my favorite Twilight Zone episodes of all time. And this is one of them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely because again it transcends any twilight zone episode for the most part is going to transcend tv mm-hmm. but the monsters on are due on maple street transcends the twilight zone so it mm-hmm. becomes something completely different and so that's why it's an amazing one i also wanted to point out brandon you know we have our twitter account tz mm-hmm. and we have some uh, folks on there we've been chatting with about the twilight zone and so i put out there when we started recording this um uh, give us your thoughts on the monsters. And uh, we had a couple folks chime in, including twilight zone sandbox, which uh, their uh, Twitter handle is uh, zone sandbox. And they're always fun for some really good um, twilight zone history. And they said just easily also what can be said about the monsters. It is what great television wishes it could be. And I, I completely agree with that. And then we also had zoner boy because there are zoner boys out there. We're one of them. Uh, his, uh, uh twitter handle is pez like the candy underscore heads um as a less than jake fan i wonder if they are as well too because pez is a big thing of less than jake for those five people who know what that is (laughs) and he said one word monumental And I completely agree with that too. So Brandon, that is the uh, conclusion of the monsters are doing Maple street. And I think uh, I I am happy that we got a chance to talk about this for the second time. And I agree with you too, as we move forward with this, I'll be interested to see now that we have a few years removed and how we're going to go on this, because actually now, as you've told me that you've watched many more episodes, I honestly did not go back uh, to the twilight zone much if at all, uh, in our hiatus. So I'm now watching these episodes as we record them for the first time in three, four years. So uh, I'm interested to see where we come on this. Uh, You may be more jaded and I may be more nostalgic. We'll see how it goes. But we hope that everyone will join us on this journey as we continue through season one and all the way through season five. And we will get to the wonderful, as I call them, Shot on Shittios, the video ver- uh, episodes coming up fairly soon in Season 2. Uh, so hopefully you'll join us on all that. And you can find us at anchor.fm slash zonasodes. That's zone-i-sodes. Because, again, we decided the title that made it the hardest to Google. So, again, FM slash zone-i-sodes. Uh, And there you also find every place that you can listen to this podcast and subscribe. And no matter your podcast app of choice, we ask that you definitely subscribe and give us a review. Those reviews absolutely help us grow this uh, show and get more folks involved. And as I mentioned, we are active on Twitter and Facebook. Both of those links are at the website as well, too. And we hope to chat with you there. Brandon, before
1: we close out, let's hear from Ron. Yep. The tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices to be found only in the minds of men. For the record, prejudices can kill and suspicion can destroy. And a thoughtless, frightened search for a scapegoat has a fallout all of its own. For the children and the children yet unborn. And the pity of it is that these things cannot be confined to the Twilight Zone. Yeah, And I think
0: that is absolutely important. What he is saying there, too, is, yeah, it's good TV, but unfortunately it becomes more than that if we let it so until next time uh which when you hear brandon and i with squeakier voices from a bygone era before covid uh where we talk about a world of difference i have been scott and with me as always is brandon and we will see you on the couch i did it good Thank you for listening to Zona Sodes. is a part of the Front Row Movie Reviews and NPR Illinois Community Voices. For more Zona visit anchor.fm slash zone i dash sodes.